Welcome to Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate, a podcast hosted by RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors, the show that brings you illuminating interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders throughout all corners of the real estate sector. Each episode will feature different masters in real estate, revealing challenging lessons they've learned, their secrets to success, and opinions regarding the state of the market. Well, hello, uh, this is Charlie Hewlett, Managing Director of RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors. If you're a regular listener to our podcast, then you know that since 1967, RCL Co. has been the first call for real estate developers, investors, the public sector, and non-real estate companies seeking strategic and tactical advice regarding property investment, planning, and development. Welcome to the latest installment of Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Cindy Clare, Chief Operating Officer of Bell Partners. Bell Partners, which was established in 1976, is a privately held, vertically integrated, multifamily apartment investment and management company focused on acquisition and value-add investment strategies throughout the United States. Uh, Cindy will no doubt correct me if I got it wrong, but uh, at last count, Bell had nearly 60,000 units under management and is one of the largest apartment renovators in the industry. Cindy, thanks so much for joining us as one of the best minds in real estate. Thanks for having me, Charlie. So uh, for our listeners, if you could just give me a brief um, overview of of your professional experience, you know, 140 characters or less in that range. (laughs) Um, So I have been in real estate, multifamily real estate my entire career, which is about 35 years now. I, I date myself, but... I started in the Washington, D.C. market with Charles E. Smith Companies um, that no longer exists, but that's where I started. Um, I was a senior regional property manager when I left there and went to the Mark Winkler Company, another privately held company in the D.C. market, and I ran their residential group for 10 years. And when I left there, I went to um, Kettler as the president of Kettler Management, and I was at Kettler for 13 years before I left there and came to Bell, where I've been almost three years now as the chief operating officer. Right. Well, so you have an affinity for uh, family uh, businesses. I do. I do. I have only worked (laughs) for family-owned companies. And ironically, um, the joke was, so I was 10 years at Smith. I left, they went public, and then they merged with Archstone. I was at Winkler for 10 years. I left, and they sold to JBG. Kettler so far has stayed, in, has stayed um, intact, and I'm sure Bob would like to keep it that way, but I was there for 13 years um, as a family-owned company and now with Bell. Right, and now you're working on Gen 2 with the Bell, so it's looking good. Correct, so it's looking very good, exactly. <laughs> well, so we, we have to start, you know, given the times that we're all living through, and, and, I, and I have to ask you, how are you doing? How is your family doing? How is the extended Bell Partners family doing in in this uh, pandemic? Fortunately, my family is doing well. My um, son is working from home in Charlotte. My husband and I are working um, from home together. And so far, we have not killed each other. So that's that's a good sign. Um, Sharing an office. And, um, you know, I think our biggest challenge has been both of us have um, older parents and trying to keep them from leaving the house has probably been the biggest challenge we've had. Um, I think they finally have acknowledged that being in their 80s, they actually do need to stay home. So uh, that's probably been our biggest challenge from a personal standpoint. The extended Bell family, we've been very fortunate. Um, all of us are healthy. 
Um, on the corporate level, we certainly have experienced um, associates that have either tested positive or actually have been sick, but we've been fortunate that everybody has recovered. Good. Well, fingers crossed for that. Um, so you talked about some of the, the challenges personally and, and to the business. Um, as you think about what some of the biggest maybe um, pleasant surprises have to, you know, or surprises to the upside, uh, what, what, if anything, have you experienced in, in that category? You know, it's been very interesting. Um, we've talked about this both personally and professionally, uh, the fact that um, you're spending more time with your family, I think, from a personal standpoint. My husband and I joke, we've been married 29 years and we've never spent this much time together. Um, and particularly the last probably 15 years where I've traveled a fair amount, um, I'm usually gone at least one or two days a week. And so to be home together 24 seven, um, has been kind of nice. You know, you, you get to have dinner together, all of those things. And I've heard that from my colleagues as well. You know, the challenges of having small children at home, they're coming in in the middle of your Zoom calls and so forth. But the advantages are you're there for dinner. You get to do a lot of things that you wouldn't um, typically have done in a normal business environment. On the Bell side, we have said the same thing that as much as we're not all working remotely, we're probably more connected at this point than we were when we were actually sitting in our offices because we've made that conscious decision um, to to do zoom calls or to connect you know my team initially in this because uh, overseeing all of operations we were talking every single day um, because of all of the changes that we had to make from an operational standpoint and the processes and the procedures and you know everything that was going on on the site level so now we're only talking three times a week but that, you know, that's far more connection and it's built um, a great camaraderie among the entire organization. Not that we didn't have that before, it just strengthened it. And that's one of the things we've talked about is how much that culture and camaraderie has really come into play when you're going through a crisis like this. Yeah. Well, there's uh, there's usually dire predictions that are made in the depth of any crisis like this that don't end up coming true. Um, but a couple of interesting ones that I heard is one, we're going to see a big spike in divorces in this country and births. <laughs> I think that's exactly <laughs> right. It's one of, fortunately, we're, my husband and I aren't neither, so we, we will just stay yeah. where we are. But yes, I've heard the yeah. same dire predictions as well. Right. And, and, and that we're going to drain ourselves out of our uh, urban centers and all go live in single family rentals in, in the countryside and, and never go back to work. None of which yeah. will happen. Um, I, my guess is that, that there will be some of that, that you will see um, more people work from home because they found that it actually works. But I also think what's happened is people have worked from home and gone, wow, I really miss an office. I really miss that interaction, um, that ability to walk down the hall and talk to somebody. You know, Zoom is great and you do get more face to face, but that doesn't replace that personal interaction. So um, I also think I, I learned for myself, I need that disconnect. I need that drive home to shut off. If not, I'm running back into the office, you know, trying to continue to work. And so really finding a way to make sure you keep that balance is a lot harder when you're working remotely. Yeah, and I've, and I've read some articles about uh, the challenge to sustain a level of attention uh, on Zooms, right? Because you just you don't have that interpersonal reaction and there's Correct. cues that you can't read, uh, you know, in two dimensions that you do in 
in three when you're live with them. But I think about, you know, the challenge of uh, how do you onboard new people in this kind of virtual environment? We've done it. <laughs> we have on, we've onboarded new properties. We've onboarded new people. Um, it, it's definitely a challenge. I, you know, we've done, our, our training department has done a phenomenal job of moving as much as they can to virtual. So we've done virtual onboarding and, you know, I give our VP of training a huge amount of credit. She did things like mailed all of the teams, um, little gift packages that had s'mores in them. And then we did um, s'mores with Cindy. So it was really a way to introduce the team. And it was just a casual chat over um, Zoom, but something, you know, just to make it a little more personalized. Um, so you can do it. It is not the same as doing it in person. But I will say that it's a lot easier for us in particular with people all around the country to get on a virtual um, Zoom call and do onboarding. But you still do need that face-to-face. -face. So I think it's finding the balance between the two. I, I must have misplaced my s'mores from Cindy here somewhere, but I'll, I'll find them. <laughs> well, that's why that know, sounds good. you're relying on me for those things. You're I'm not that creative. <laughs> I, have to, I have a great team that comes up with all of those things. Yeah. So as you look forward, right, what, what does your crystal ball tell you about the recovery and what does it look like and what impact does that have on your business, on the industry, on residents in your rental apartment communities? Well, I think that the, the recovery is really a TBD, you know, because it, it's still bumpy right now. We don't know, are, you know, I think the big question, are we going to go into a phase two or are we going to go into a, you know, a phase two of the spike in? the virus and what does that do? Do we end up closing down again? My hope is we don't, but I do think it's gonna have an impact on people and what happens. And if we stay in this first phase, for example, where things are at half capacity, what does that do to people's incomes? And so particularly in the rental side, and you've, you've seen a lot about and read a lot about affordable and what is this doing? Um, and, you know, all of us, you know, in, in the industry are doing payment plans and waiving late fees and doing all of those things to help as much as we can. But the reality is we still need to collect rent or we can't pay our bills and maintain the properties and do all of the things that we need to do. So I do think that um, the recovery for multifamily is probably brighter, certainly than retail or even commercial at this point. But I do think it may be a slower recovery um, in certain markets. I think some markets will bounce back very quickly and other markets it may take longer. And those markets that have been hit harder, like a Florida, where they're so dependent on tourism and service and you know, more of the in-person, I think they will be the slower markets to recover simply because are people really going to go back to hotels in droves? Are they going to go to Disney World or Universal Studios? big conventions. I mean, how many conferences have been canceled? So it's not just that hourly right. worker, it's the managers and so forth. And those, those people live in our apartments as well. So I do think we'll see some of that, but I think it, it won't be, I don't believe across the board, I think it will be in certain submarkets and other submarkets where remote working is easier. Um, you know, look at say Seattle, our Seattle market has done very well from a collection standpoint, um, as well as just an occupancy standpoint, because many of those workers work remotely anyway. And so they're not being as impacted and those jobs are, are much more 
conducive to working remotely versus a service type position. And, and we certainly heard from uh, from industry participants that um, I think everyone has been pleasantly surprised at the level of collections yes. in the multifamily space. It's uh, you know. In May, everyone was wringing their hand that, uh, that you know, June is going to be bad and June right. looking like it's pretty good. It is. Uh, and now yeah. everyone's worried about, you know, the PPP wearing off and the ex extended unemployment benefits. And so now everyone's yeah. wringing their hands about July and August. Each um, month we get worried about a new, yeah, we get a new, <laughs> a new worry. So when it first started, we we're like, oh, what is this going to do? And we've been pleasantly surprised to your point. Our um, collections have been in the high, mid to high 90s every month, which has been terrific. I think the challenge is, even though it may be two or 3%, maybe 4%, depending on your market, though the people that aren't paying aren't likely to pay because at this point they may be behind you know, two and three months. So you've got your people that are paying, which is tremendous and it's far greater than we thought it would be. You have people that have gone on payment plans with us which is a smaller percentage. And then you have those people that you haven't heard from, you can't get a hold of, and they're not paying. And at this point, they may owe you two or three months rent. And the likelihood of recovering from that is gonna be difficult. So even if we keep our collections where they are, which um, I do, I agree that July and the stimulus wearing off, and you think about people that were getting that extra $600, that maybe have gone back to work, but they're at a reduced salary or they're not getting as many you know, bonuses or commissions. That's where I think we could be impacted when that help is gone. And they're still, and yet the economy hasn't recovered to the point that they're getting that full salary again. So I think that's why my colleagues and I are all a little nervous about what happens in July and August. But I think the second piece of that is that wave of people small percentage though it may be, those are big dollars when you start thinking three and four months rent and potentially, particularly in those markets where the eviction moratoriums are still in place, um, it could be six months and we are unlikely to recover that. So our bad debt numbers are not going to be, they're definitely gonna be up I think across the board, not as bad as we thought initially, which is a good thing, but still, you know, big numbers and more importantly, an inability for us to help those residents without some kind of public support um, to recover. You know, the people that got on payment plans early have a much better opportunity. But when you get behind three and four months rent, it's, it's very difficult to catch up. It's a big hole to dig out of. Yeah, I understand. So what are, what are you all doing now at the, at the community level and at the company level? to start thinking about uh, the great reopening? Well, we have started the great reopening um, simply because each state, you know, one of the, the, the fun things about being a national company is we have to know what, what each state is doing and what each jurisdiction, jurisdiction is doing in our different markets. So we've had to come up with really broad guidelines for our teams and then customize them somewhat to each individual market. So Georgia was one of the first states to open. Um, we reopened, basically, uh, we waited about two weeks because Georgia was so um, quick. And what we've done now is we are now doing leasing by appointment only. Um, we're really still encouraging our residents to communicate with us via the portal, via email, phone, versus coming into the office. We've put, we still have, we have now self-guided tours. 
Um, we're still doing virtual leasing. Um, so all of that is still in place, but we are starting to do um, some by appointment only in-person tours. In addition, we've started slowly opening amenity spaces. So the outdoor amenity spaces were opened first. Um, we've started opening pools. And again, depending on the different jurisdictions, there are different guidelines for what you do for pools. So um, with social distancing, with the extra disinfecting, all of the things um, that, you, that are required across the states, but again, in, in varying degrees, we have slowly started opening fitness centers in those um, states where gyms have opened. If the gyms are still closed, like in North Carolina, we've really not opened the fitness centers. But we are, again, with reduced equipment, social distancing, extra disinfecting, so a lot of extra cleanliness. The other thing that we've done is um, we have moved our teams to staggered shifts so that no team was in the office together. We've gone back to really at our team's request, but also because we're trying to get back to normal, um, to the teams being in the offices together, again, social distancing, um, we've gotten um, shields for all of the desks. And are you talking about down at the site level or are you talking about on the site level? On the site level, yeah. we do, we've, got, um, yeah. we've got sneeze guards in place, we've got the social distancing, we, we are requiring if you're in the common areas to wear masks. You know, again, all of the things that I think most of the other companies are doing to try to get some sense of normalcy, but also protect our associates. I think that's the biggest um, challenge. And, and our teams want to work together, but we also want them to be healthy and as safe as possible. So we've tried to put all of that into place. So we are slowly doing the great reopening, but very cautiously and, and very disciplined um, to make sure that we minimize the risks to our teams and to our residents, as well as um, the prospects that may be coming in to see apartments. And, and all of this, uh, you know, uh, going virtual, uh, online payments, uh, self, self-guided tours, all of that, do, do you believe that those are trends that will be durable or that are just in place now in the height of the pandemic? What, what, what does your crystal ball tell you, you know, about that? I think, it's, I think we have fundamentally shifted the way that um, we lease apartments. I don't think that means that people are going to quit coming to apartment communities to look at the apartment. But I do think that you will have a portion of the population that does want the virtual tours or that does want self-guided. Um, and I think all of that is here to stay. I don't think it eliminates, oh, we're not going to lease in person, but I think it gives people more options. And it's something that we've seen in retail and we've seen in other industries that our industry was a little slower to adopt and we were all forced to do it very quickly. And I think there will be some fine tuning. I know that at Bell, we're, we're looking at that now, but I don't believe it goes away. I think it stays and I think it becomes part of the leasing experience and it gives people the option of how do they want to run an apartment. Yeah, fascinating. Well, you know, I, I know we've been spending 24 seven sort of living and breathing COVID. So I, I want to move on from that <laughs> and that fun topic and 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 talk to one of the great minds in real estate right so uh tell us what got you uh interested in in the real estate industry and how how you got your start well it's interesting because i like most people that are of my generation fell into real estate because real estate was not something people really knew about i um, came out of the university of virginia with a degree in international relations and a minor in spanish and thought I was gonna to go to work for the Foreign Service. 
until I found out before I took the foreign service exam, fortunately, that um, you don't go to, I thought, oh, I'll go to Latin America. I speak Spanish, you know. No, 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 it's all about tenure. And you usually your first assignments are in countries that if you're lucky have running water or and or electricity. And I said, no, I'm out. Um, I'm not a roughing it. That's not going to work for me. So I need to rethink this. And not a little political instability uh, in your future. <laughs> no, no, I was not. I was no. not quite. Mm. That was not quite what I had envisioned. Mm. Um, mm. So I took a temp job, and my first temp job was with Charles E. Smith, and mm. they offered me a full time position, and it was interesting. And I thought, well, I'll do this until I find my quote unquote real job. And I started working with them and really enjoyed and loved what I was doing. Took um, some real estate classes, learned more about the business, and ultimately 10 years later was a senior regional manager with them, um, managing a lot of their lease-up properties. And you know, from there, I continued my career and I've loved every minute of it. So I fell into it, but it was a great fit for me and it's been a terrific career for me. And and most of it has been in the operations uh, side of the business, or have all you, of it has have you straddled the in, fence? Yeah, no, all of it's been in the operational side of the business. Um, that's where Although I started. Although in the value-add space, uh, you have to learn a little bit about construction, don't you? Yes, so I've learned, you know, <laughs> one of the things that's been interesting, when I started my career at um, Charles E. Smith, I actually worked in an admin role, because you didn't, at that time, go from site into corporate. So I was in corporate and then moved into a regional role. Um, but I worked on site just to learn um, on the weekend so I could so I could learn about leasing and so forth. But when I first started as a regional manager, I had um, downtown DC rent control properties. And so, you know, I learned about rent control. I learned about older buildings. I learned about the CapEx and what you have to do um, to get repaid for CapEx in DC under rent control. And then I moved into handling um, new construction and learning from the ground up what that looks like to see a building be a hole in the ground all the way to a fully occupied stabilized property, which I loved. I love that, that you can actually see the difference that you make, that it's very tangible. Um, and so at that time I got involved with, um, I was asked by Smith to sit on the Alexandria Landlord Tenant Board for the city of Alexandria. And so I began sitting on that board and I met the president of Mark Winkler. And he ultimately offered me a position as their vice president of residential. And they had older garden style property that they were getting ready to renovate. And so um, I was intrigued by that, took that job. And people were like, oh, you're going to miss having all the new development. Well, renovations, you learn to take something old and make it look fabulous again. And ultimately, um, Winkler also built some new products. So I got, I got a little bit of that. So it was very, you know, I, it was very educational. It was a different part of the business, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and when I went to Kettler, Kettler was also new development, but they also had tax credit. So I learned the affordable right. world and learned a lot about um, tax credit properties and how that works. And then ultimately, we built a third-party business as well. So, you know, what I've loved about my career is that I've been able to um, see different facets of it. And so then going to Bell, it was a national platform and I'd always been much more on a regional level. And 
Bell has both new construction, not that we actually build, but that we have managed, as well as the renovation piece of it. Um, so all of those skills, and then add our fund, um, fund piece into it, which is different for me with the investors. And so all of those now come together and I get to use those same skills, but learn additional skills as well. Fantastic. Well, so over the, over the 35 years that you've been in the business, you know, what, what would you say are some of the, the biggest changes that you've seen <laughs> in, in the industry? Wow. Um, you know, there's so many, there like, been like, so many, com like computers, like computers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, computers would, be, I remember, um, when we put computers out on the properties and some of my managers thought, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, I remember getting a pager and thinking, oh no, now they can, you know, they can call us at any time. Who knew that, you know, just at a pager. Um, but, you know, you think about where multifamily was, it was very much family owned companies, um, much more mom and pop, always kind of the redheaded stepchild to the commercial world. Um, and then you think about where it is today, the golden child of the industry, much more institutional, much more financially driven, but still with that, you know, that personal touch, you're still interacting with people and you're still dealing with people's homes. So I think we've gotten the best of both worlds from that standpoint, but clearly the technology and you think about, you know, we used to have the guidebooks that used to be the whole, you know, apartment section in the newspaper and you did big <laughs> right. display ads and all of the things that we used to do to drive traffic um, that now is done really through internet and, and the fact that you can really target your market and understand your demographics, things that, that we couldn't do, you know, even 15, 20 years ago. So I think the, the technology the fact that there are now universities that have property management degrees or even real estate degrees, you know, so um, there are people coming out of college. This is what they're choosing to do for their career, whether that's in property management or real estate investment or in the finance side, but that it's really focused on real estate. It is very different than when we started when I started in this business. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's incredible how that has everything has changed, as you said. When, when you look forward, what do you think some of the big, the big new, new trends are going to be over the next, you know, 10 or 20 years? Well, I think, you know, that I wish I could tell you exactly what they're going to be because then I would, I would not uh, like you, retire. You can't, you, you, you can't be wrong sitting here today. That's exactly right. <laughs> I think the technology will continue to drive our business. I think that, um, you are going to see the, the artificial intelligence and the things that you're seeing in the retail world um, blend over. And, and we saw it just with the pandemic, the, the amount of people that have put in artificial intelligence or self-guided tours, all of the things that were the virtual tours, the things that we're doing now, I think will continue. I don't, I don't believe, and you'll hear some people say, well, it means we'll be able to eliminate staff. Well, again, I'm old and I've been around a long time and they said that when we got computers. They've said that every time and it's never happened because there is always still gonna be that relationship piece of the business. Um, and there are always gonna be people that still want to talk to people. But again, I think it goes to those choices and giving people options. I also think you're gonna see, uh, the trend has been for millennials, 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 and smaller, smaller, smaller. 
in the, in the urban cores. And while I still think there will be that demand for the urban core, I think you're also gonna start seeing um, a trend towards larger apartments, larger being you know, a relative term, but that people are staying in apartments longer. When you look at the demographics and you think about um, people are getting married later, they're having children later, and quite frankly, they're staying in apartments because they want that convenience, but they want space now. And particularly, I was talking to someone who was, lives in an apartment and she said, you know, we've lived in this apartment for three years and it was great until we both had to work from home in 700 square feet. And I said, would you, if you could, would you go into something bigger? She said, all day long. And I think that, again, if we do believe that there's going to be a bigger trend towards people working from home, then they're going to want more space because they're going to be in their homes more. And those amenity spaces then become part, you know, part of the equation. Although you couldn't use the amenity spaces during the pandemic, so you truly were confined to your small apartment. And therefore, I think that space becomes part of what people are going to be looking for. You know, um, I do think there's probably a trend towards people. We're certainly seeing it right now that people are, are leasing in our suburban, or kind of urban suburban markets has done much better than our downtown. But it's not that the downtown is like drying up and people are leaving in droves. It's just right now, I think people are a little more comfortable with a little more space. So I do think that's something we'll see. Um, one of the things you're starting to see developers do is build single family for rent homes. So I, I do think that'll be an interesting concept Obviously for that kind of space, it's gonna to have to be out in the suburbs. And what does that look like and what does that mean? I don't know that it'll be a huge trend, but I do think um, that appeals to those young families that aren't ready to buy. But it also may appeal to your baby boomers that are, you know, we keep talking about the baby boomers are downsizing and they're moving into apartments because they want that convenience. But downsizing to them is not a thousand square feet. And so this alternative of potentially a single family home or, or a detached kind of home that's 1,500 square feet may be very appealing to them. So we're probably working on a dozen single family rental, uh, you know, built, purpose built uh, single family rental projects all around the country. It's, it seems to be the, the, the new in the thing uh, and a lot of institutional capital chasing it and private capital, as you know. Uh, are you at Bell investigating the space or are you ceding that to others for the moment? We're ceding that to others at the moment. You know, again, because Bell is not a developer, we're an investor and, and a manager. Um, we, will, we will wait to see. Um, but clearly, if a, you know, a third party client, we've, we have some clients that have asked us to look at managing some of that type of, of um, work. None of it has been actually developed. So as it gets developed, I think we'll do it from a management standpoint, but we will wait and see on the investment side. Makes sense. So, um, so, so turning to you personally, um, I'd, I'd love for you to tell our, our listeners what it's like um, to be a leader, uh, to be an executive, um, and a woman <laughs> in what I think most would Say is still a fairly male-dominated uh, industry. Yes, um, you know it's interesting for me. You know, particularly at Bell, we are very um, diverse from a female standpoint. We have, you know, Lily is our president. You know, I'm the CEO. We have um, 
senior vice, our three senior vice presidents in operations are women. So we have a lot of female leadership in the organization. Um, so from that standpoint, I feel very comfortable. 15, 20 years ago, yes, I was, you know, there were, I could count on my hands the number of women in leadership roles. Um, I'm thrilled to see that that is expanding and continues to expand, and hopefully that will happen. Um, but early on, I, I remember being, you know, particularly because I was active in local organizations, and you'd go to a meeting, and you'd be the only female in the room, you know, if you were there with your peers. And so it, it's exciting to see um, more women get involved and get into leadership and get into leadership roles. So, you know, I, I've so been at, fortunate. Mm -hmm. I said, I've been fortunate. Yeah. I, I've always had, you know, um, companies that have been very supportive of having women in leadership roles. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, in, in my career, uh, my first two uh, direct reports and bosses were both women. It didn't seem odd to me. So ho hopefully the latter half of the baby boom generation, uh, like us, were, were more enlightened. I, I hope so. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, so as a COO, um, what, what's a typical day like? You know, what do you spend your time on and, and how do you prioritize your time and your effort to the things that <laughs> really make a difference i would say that sometimes my time gets prioritized for me um yeah. you know I, for the the pandemic obviously we have been very focused on operations and working with uh, our senior vice president of, of operations as well as our senior vice president of human resources to find you know what are the things what are the things we're going to put in place for our teams when they get sick how are we going to handle exposures you know um, what are the processes for closing down the offices? What are the processes for opening the offices? So they, they actually do all of the heavy lifting. I'm more there to listen and give guidance and say, you know, how about this? Um, but really focused on that. On an overall, you know, I spend more time with the senior team looking at strategy and what, where do we want to, you know, where do we want to go? But also performance, you know, how are we doing on performance? What's the platform look like? What are the initiatives we need to look at for, for the platform? What's going to improve our performance? Um, and then working with our clients, um, that relationship piece of it is critical. And that starts with me and works all the way down through the organization from an operational standpoint, whether that's my SVPs or the VPs or the regional managers and the site teams. Um, so I spend a lot of time on those kind of things. HR reports to me. So I spend time looking at training and what are, you know, whether that's leadership training, whether that's onboarding, you know, what are the things that we're going to do to grow our teams? How are we going to retain the best um, and the brightest? How are we going to bring in new people? So um, a lot of overall big picture looking at the direction of the company, um, as well as then sometimes you get in the weeds when you need to get in the weeds, whether that's a property that's not performing well and you know, we need to talk about um, issues like the pandemic and what are we going to do um, but then again working with the executive committee on the overall direction for the organization yeah and rcl co has has been fortunate to work with you uh at, at kepler on uh yes. doing strategic planning and his uh, you know and and now at, at bell again yes. um what 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 um what in your view is is the value of strategic planning? 
Well, I think the view, the value of strategic planning is that you have, you know where you're going. It, it's so easy to get sidetracked if you don't have a clear vision and definition of where you want to go and making sure, you know, and it helps you then drive the decisions you're making. Do they, do they help us meet our strategic plan? Or is this, is this something that is a distraction versus it really embodies what we want to do and get us where we want to be? And that helps also guide your teams because then everybody's rowing in the same direction. And I think without that, sometimes it's very easy to get um, derailed and, and not know where you're going or is this the right choice for us? And so um, Beltex a very disciplined approach to what we're going to look at, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And we, we, we strive to stay on track and follow that strategic plan. And so far it's worked very well for us. So I'm, I'm sure that's what we will continue to do. So not, not you, of course, because you're a very modest person, but what, what would someone who knows you well say are your key strengths? <laughs> um, I think that my key strengths are communicating, communicating with people, um, building relationships with people, being able to look at the big picture. Um, my team would probably tell you that one of my strengths is I, you know, I want to get things done. And they would also tell you that's one of my weaknesses because I'm like, okay, let's just go. And so fortunately I have people that look at the details far more than I would look at the details um, because I just want to get, I want to keep moving forward. So I, those are probably the big three. And, and, and what would that same person who knows you well say your blind spots are? And uh, <laughs> well, definitely. How, how, do you, how, how do you manage those? <laughs> um, I think that, you know, Again, I like to move forward and sometimes I need to slow down and make sure we're looking at all of the details. And I'm fortunate to have a team that's very good at that. Um, and you know, remembering to listen. I think I'm a good listener, but sometimes I'm moving too fast and I need to remember to take the time to stop and listen. So I, those would probably be the two. All right, well, I, I think you can be fixed. Yes, I, I hope. <laughs> you might want to ask my <laughs> team. They <laughs> might have a different vote of you, but I think that would be it. As you think back over the last uh, 35 years, what, what, would you, um, what would you say your biggest um, success has been in your career? I think just that my career has progressed um, in, a very, you know, in a very natural way to a role that I've always been challenged. And that's what I love most about my career is that I've always been challenged. And I've worked for great companies that have given me new experiences that have allowed me to continue to grow. So um, for me, you know, I think that on a, the other thing is that being chairman of the National Apartment Association was a, a big success. I was the third female. So going back to that, um, getting, breaking through that glass ceiling and having more women in those le leadership roles, not only in the industry, but also in the in industry associations. So. That would probably be the, the two. Any regrets? You know, I, I don't believe in regrets in the sense of you, we all have them and we can all go, oh, I wish I'd done this differently. But I always try to look at it and go, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't end it, have ended up where I am today. Because if you go back and you change one thing, well, I made this mistake and if I'd done this differently, well, if I had done that differently, I wouldn't be here because it would have taken me on a different path. So. I try really hard, you know, um, to 
think about the mistakes I've made and learn from them, but also recognize without those mistakes, you don't learn and you can't, you wouldn't be where you are today. So from that standpoint, they certainly have my regrets, but um, I think they were all good learning experiences that got me to where I am today. And, and as you think about um, who are today or, or who have been over the years uh, role models for you, people that have influenced uh, your life and your career, who, who gets on the short list there wow. for you? There's a lot of people. Um, there are two women that worked with me when I was at Smith. One of them was uh, the only female vice president in the residential department at that time. She may have been the only female vice president in the company. There might have been a couple of others, but um, she was you know, instrumental in basically telling me, you have to be yourself. Um, don't try to be someone you're not. And, you know, always be willing to learn. And there's uh, both of them are still very close friends of mine today. Um, and I still listen to their advice. Um, Alex Jackie, who is, um, was the chairwoman of NEA before I was, who encouraged me to get involved and said, you know, you need to do this, is a, a dear friend and somebody I look to when I'm questioning, oh, well, what about this? She's somebody I call, um, you know, the people that, Bob Kettler and the people that have given me opportunities, um, the Bells, Lily Dunn, all of those people I, I view as mentors because you can learn from them. So for me, I think it's finding those people that can help you and learn, you know, hopefully you're giving them information, but you're learning from them as well. So it's a long list. That's good. So what, what advice would you have for a young person and, and I guess particularly a young woman perhaps um, who's thinking about a career in real estate? You know, I think that um, be willing to learn, be open to trying new things. I think it's very easy. As I said, when I first left Smith, everybody was like, well, why would you give up all those class A buildings and go try, you know, B properties? And for me, it was a challenge and an opportunity, and it was something outside of my comfort zone. When I went to Kettler and I did affordable, um, it was a challenge. It was something different. I think you have to stretch yourself and you have to be willing to learn. Um, you want to take risks, but calculated risks. You know, don't just, don't just leap, but look at what's the real reason why you're doing this. What, are you, what do you expect to gain? Um, and make sure it's a good fit. You know, make sure that you, it's not just about the job, it's about the people you're working with and the culture um, of that company. And have a little patience. You're not going to get there overnight. It takes time. Um, and the more you're willing to volunteer to try new things, the more you're willing to get involved, the more you're willing to learn, I think the more successful you'll be. So what's, what's the next big challenge for you personally and, uh, and thinking about uh, the next mountain you're climbing um, at Bell or we'll say at Bell, not elsewhere. At Bell. Yes, it's at Bell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, for us, we've, um, it's the continued growth in our, um, on a national footprint and how do you continue to manage and build that culture when your scale is across the country and your footprint is larger. Um, so, you know, continuing to look for ways to improve performance, looking for those new innovations. How do we do things better and more efficiently and effectively um, and build that culture and, and develop our teams, I think. You know, again, all of those tools are great, but you have to have the right people and the right culture and that motivation to want to succeed. 
And I think that's where, you know, we focus a lot of our time on our people because I can bring in all kinds of great tools, but if people aren't using them or don't want to do well, that's not going to do us any good. Well said. Well, we only, we only have a minute or two left here, so we'll, we'll bring it to the, uh, to a close. Um, so tell me what's the, um, what's, what's the thing that you have missed most during the great lockdown? <laughs> you know, um, I miss getting onto the properties. One of the things I uh, love about this job and what I've loved about this industry is the interaction with the people and the teams. And so not being able to go out to properties and see the real estate and see the teams that run that real estate has been probably the hardest thing for me. I love the, I love the people aspect of this business. And so being able to get out to our real estate, um, I really miss that. And I'll be really excited when I can do that again. So. And so uh, what, has been, uh, what has been your guilty pleasure while you've been staying at home? Well, it's only been in recent weeks that I've had guilty pleasure because it's been the first couple of weeks all I did was work, I think, just trying to get everything yeah. done. It's been nice to just sit and read a book, you know, just read, you know, fiction, just something that is kind of a good summer reading book. Um, you know, I, I, I like suspense novels, so uh, I've read a couple of good suspense novels recently. I was open to hearing Tiger King, but okay. I have not watched Tiger King. Tiger King. I will say I have binge watched. Um, I have binge watched The Crown and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I was not a Netflix person uh, or an Amazon Prime person before the pandemic. I clearly am now. So I have watched uh, it. Yeah, I have binge watched a couple of those shows. Yeah, I have every streaming service available <laughs> to humankind. I'm pretty sure. So, uh, what's the first thing you're going to do? Uh, besides visiting properties that you haven't been able to do once, uh, once we get restrictions. I was going to say visiting properties is probably the first yeah. thing from a professional standpoint, getting out um, to our markets again will be exciting. Um, personally, um, I, I always every year usually do a trip with um, some friends and I'm hoping we may not be able to go overseas, but we're hoping we can at least get a girl's trip in um, at later in the summer, but we'll see. That all remains to be seen. Well, that, that, that will be wonderful, and I will, I will keep my fingers crossed. Um, Cindy, thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, this has been really uh, enlightening and great to catch up with you virtually, and I'm looking forward to doing it in person sometime in the very near future. So am I, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate, hosted by RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors. If you are interested in learning more about RCL Co., go to rclco.com and follow us on Twitter at RCL Co. Don't forget to subscribe to new episodes of the podcast and make sure to leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for tuning into the show.